Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Today is Friday, September the 16th. I'm your host, Tiffany, (laughs) and joining me in our studio from all over the planet is Doug, Gabby, Elliot, and Erica. Hello. Hi. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, everyone. I think Jonathan may be here, but he might be joining us a little late. So our our topic for today is connecting the dots. There's something rotten everywhere, not just in Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk about the most recent news stories, some of them really shocking and scary. It looks like things are heating up in the health world. There's a lot of news stories from the last few weeks, and we can sense that there's something big on the vaccine front heading our way. Not quite sure, can't quite put our fingers on it, but something big is going down. Uh, Public agencies are acting like there is. The WHO released an instruction manual on how to win the hearts and minds of vaccine deniers, and the CDC is backing them up if that doesn't work. They are wanting to propose a law that helps them to stop and quarantine and treat travelers who look a little peaked. And the American Academy of Pediatrics says it's okay for doctors to get rid of their non-vaccinated patients. And there's a bill out of California that would make showing the movie Vaxxed a crime. So we're going to do a little mashup of all these recent news stories, all that and more. So I guess we can just kick it off. Do we want to start off with uh, the who? <laughs> who? Who? <laughs> who? Well, yeah, the who. Basically, you know, uh, the World Health Organization is is uh, putting out documents on how to respond to vaccine deniers. And so... Uh, the European Regional Office of the WHO um, in 2016 has a, a best practice guidance, first edition, how to respond to vocal deniers, vaccine deniers in public. And basically the guidance document provides basic broad principles for a spokesperson of any health authority on how to respond to vocal vaccine deniers. The suggestions are based on psychological research, on persuasion, research in public health, communication studies, and who risk communication guidelines. The document centers on how to address science denialism for health authorities in a public venue or um, discussion. So according to the WHO, those who question science and experts, in quotes, are chopped up into three categories, a vaccine refuser, a vaccine skeptic, or a straight-up vaccine denier. I plead guilty. (laughs) 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 So you notice in all of that, they don't say we're trying to persuade people with facts and the facts that vaccines work and are safe and helpful for people. They're just using these other techniques, psychological techniques to Mm -hmm. persuade people. I will feel insulted if who gave me like a book, you know, based on persuasion strategies that worked with Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) 
Where is the science? <laughs> But it sounds like they're, they're preparing someone or some people or groups of people to give like televised interviews. I mean, what they say in there is kind of creepy. So I went through it <laughs> and I'll just go through some of them, not all of them. But um, so this is the who document you yeah, went through this who document and nowhere in the document do they explain any reasons why somebody would be hesitant or why somebody would be a vaccine denier. None of that is mentioned whatsoever. <clears throat> um, but uh, one of their tips is to keep eye contact because it increases the credibility of the speaker. But then they go on to say, you know, do it in a reasonable manner because if you do it for too much, it seems a little creepy. And then they say, stay calm because it makes it easier for you to keep control of the situation. They want the person to wear suitable clothing and be well-groomed, but don't dress too nice. Just dress appropriate for the situation. And they want the person to be interviewed while sitting down. So the the interviewee can be on the same level as the discussion partners, because if you're standing and especially if you're a tall person, that can be seen as domineering and intimidating. And then they they want the person to prepare three key messages because they say people can't remember much more than that. And they want them to keep the message simple. Don't use jargon, but use sound bites. They actually said sound bites in there. And they want you to keep repeating, keep repeating the key message, but don't do it so much that you sound stupid or ignorant. And um, they don't want you to repeat any of the, the uh, vaccine, ar- anti-vaccine arguments. Because if you do, they might take that little clip of what you said and it might end up in an anti-vaccine video. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a chapter in there about um, how to um, have safety, right? Is that what that, how to protect yourself. So there's a chapter entitled How to Protect Yourself. The chapter warns, in extremely rare circumstances, your personal safety and security may be compromised by your pro-vaccination viewpoint. And and it cautions the public health official to be aware that your evidence and opinion may put your personal safety in jeopardy. Now, if that isn't like the opposite of Mm -hmm. what... What do we do? Get a gun? Or- <laughs> no, that's really weird because, for one, it sounds like they're trying to anticipate that maybe they'll use an agent provocateur, like on some kind of weird, you know, anti-vaccine protest, and you know, make him do something to hurt someone that's on the pro-vaccine side, so they can, you know, cause all this chaos. But if anybody has to be afraid of their safety, it's us. And, yeah. You know, fearing their mandatory vaccines or losing our jobs because we, you know, don't get a vaccine. Yeah, I must wonder if that's well, the entire threat- document. Oh. oh, sorry. I was I was wondering, I almost wonder if that threat in uh, Australia with uh, Dr. Tenpenny was a provocateur situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bomb threat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that the entire document really paints anyone who has any sort of objection, like whatsoever, you know, even scaling the type of objection that somebody might have and where they fit on the scale of vaccine deniers. 
-hmm. it's just it it just paints um vaccine anybody who who questions a vaccine as crazy essentially and that you know the the whole thing about safety just puts the icing on the cake you know anybody who actually is questioning what these people are saying and notice that, that nothing in the document actually legitimizes what they're saying it's only about persuading or how to deal with these crazy people who might actually have questions which is uh. and, and of course of those oh go on, those who resonate uh, those who resonate with the information will be very polarized like i can see comments from mm -hmm. doctors saying oh he's a uh, hipster, you know, it's a hippie, you know, because he doesn't want vaccines, you know. What? <laughs> Got a beard and a man bun. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-vaccine. Well, they they also want the the interviewee to emphasize safety instead of low risk. Like they want to say, like, make sure you focus on seventy five percent positive and don't mention, you know, twenty five percent negative. So if they say Vaccines have been shown to be 99% safe. Never, ever mention the 1% where they're not safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the um, bloggers that writes about this is Jeff Jeffrey Jackson, and he actually carried this article. And uh, he was talking about how the whole document reads like a military psyop manual mm -hmm. for our listeners. That's mm. psychological operations and basically how to properly craft and deliver specific messaging uh, to a conquered enemy force. So it gives the massive amounts of science, given the massive amounts of scientific cons corruption, conspiracy facts, and political revolving doors with vaccine manufacturers, the WHO's document is a glimpse to a future where forced medicine directed by drug manufacturers will give the public no quarter. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the um, the advice they're giving to doctors on how to deal with um, parents and, and, and people in the community who ask about vac vaccines, um, it seems like a lot of it is, is very similar to um, neuro-linguistic programming and certain techniques uh, mm -hmm. that, that, that are quite often used in sales and marketing. It's like uh, someone mentioned it before, Coca-Cola. They um, they use exactly mm -hmm. the same methods, um, and it's <laughs> rather than I mean, there's um, there is there was one article, and it's called the World Health Organization documents how to respond to vaccine, uh, how to respond to vaccine deniers, and it 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 basically explains it shows um there is a, a slide of presentation. And it's um, it's been developed and it's to train doctors on how to deal with patient objectives to vaccines. And um, and at the top of one of the um, of one of the presentations, it openly states that you should persuade rather than inform the patient. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 got all of these um, these techniques on, on exactly how to deal with something like that. It's it's awfully creepy to think that um, mm -hmm. many of the doctors um are supposedly meant to um you know look out for the the health of the community but what it actually seems is it's more like a marketing ploy for um for pharmaceutical companies the creepy thing is okay. that it will most probably work because doctors are so brainwashed that they will just receive this material mm. like oh yes master yes master basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Another there is one silver lining to this i would say and that is that I think the reason that these guys are coming out with this document is because 
people are kind of starting to question these things. Um, there was one article on SOT uh, that talked about how the number of, was specific to New Jersey, it said the number of New Jersey children whose parents have requested a religious exemption has grown to nearly 600% um, in between the year, the 2005-2006 academic year and the 2014-2015 year. So to me, that kind of seems like it's a bit of good news. Like there are people out there who are kind of looking for alternatives, who are actually kind of aware of what's going on. And this one here, the, the article that that came from is actually called More Vaccine Extremism in, in America. Doctors could soon drop patients who don't vaccinate their kids. And it's basically the, um, there was a dramatic statement re, um, released by the American, uh, American Ac- Academy of Pediatrics last week that um, said that it's okay for doctors to drop families who refuse the shots. So... Yeah, and they know. also it's, it's urge like, to repeal laws where uh, parents have a religious exemption. And how mm-hmm. disgusting is that? Like, if you're a doctor, you're supposed to treat people who come to your office and who are willing to pay. How are you going to turn somebody away? I mean, how is that even congruent with the Hippocratic Oath? How are you going to just disarm no And it's scary, too, because it just... Uh, reinforces the fact that in so much of the medical community, like the WHO and the American Academy of Pediatrics, their belief is that vaccines are basically the only way to health. If you get a vaccine, mm-hmm. then you're healthy. If you don't, then you're going to get sick and die. So they're just trying to reinforce this belief amongst the population, and it's totally not true. Yeah, they're completely brainwashed to the point when there is uh, side effects from vaccines. Healthcare providers are not able to see them anymore because they are, they, their thinking is so fragmented, like vaccines are put in a pedestal, that when they see an adverse effect, they don't just connect the dots. They just think of something else. Oh, it must have been a genetic condition or the absurd mm. reason they will think of it, except the vaccine, you know. I guess what I'm curious about is, aren't they legally required to tell you the side effects? You know, like if you're getting a, a drug for some other condition, they, they have to tell you at some point, you know, this might cause you to grow an ear on your ankle. <laughs> no, because they're not, um, they're not um, monitored the same way as drugs. They don't have to go through any, vaccines don't have to go through any sort of approval mm-hmm. process or anything. It's a whole different Section. I, I don't know the terminology for yeah, it. There's supposed to be informed consent where you, uh, the doctor is supposed to, you know, lay out all the risks and the benefits, but that never happens. I've seen doctors put people mm. in a new drug. They might say, oh, this might make you, you know, retain a little water, or you might, you know, <laughs> go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and fall asleep on the toilet. But they really don't go into all of that, and they rarely give out a vaccine insert, like the inserts that come in the packaging, unless you specifically ask for it. Usually they just say, okay, this is the shot and this is the benefits of it, so pretty much go ahead and take it. And I've had doctors come out of the room where they just saw their patient, they're like, roll their eyes and like, oh, this person has, you know, it's obvious they have a computer and they've been on the Internet. So they don't want anybody (laughs) making informed choices about their health. They just want them to listen to what they say and do it. And that's Mm -hmm. it. And you do have to sign a sign a waiver if you decide to get the vaccine for your child at least you know 20 years ago that was the case i don't know now if that's the case 
haven't been. <laughs> well, this probably now affects health insurance too. I would imagine. Uh, I don't know for a fact, but it, I would imagine that there are, uh, you know, provisions in uh, in health insurance contracts that say if you refuse a vaccine, then you lose a certain amount of coverage, or maybe you lose all your coverage. I, I don't know. Loaded. <sighs> yeah. Well, this week, um, the documentary Vaxxed was aired, you know, I think, you know, for at least the U.S. and Canada. Am I correct? I believe so. Yeah. Well, I had the opportunity to watch the documentary this week as well. (laughs) And uh, there are some details about that, Jonathan, because... um, it has to do with um, insurance coverage and, you know, possible adverse effects from vaccines. And basically it portrays how the CDC lied, you know, in order to not be liable financially, you know, in order, because it is, we're talking about trillions of dollars. Uh, what has been uncovered in the documentary is that, you know, there are countless of people who developed autism after the MMR vaccine that uh, the first dose is at 15, uh, 15 months of age. And uh, from all the cases that were accumulating um, in, under the, the Department of Justice, if I'm, yeah, it will have been trillions of dollars. So basically, you know, the studies, they falsified a study in order to deny that coverage, you know. So it's not it's not as easy as like you know making sure the insurance company you know uh, checks on this. Uh, it's really corrupted right to the top. Yeah, if you get a chance, yeah. you should watch the documentary. I think you can get it streaming. It's only I don't know how much it costs. Not that much to watch it streaming. You can buy the DVD too. So anybody who's out there needs to watch it because it's really eye opening about how the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine is linked to autism. Yeah, it's $4 on Vimeo, yeah. says one of our chatters. Be prepared to be really There's another anchored. news piece actually out of... Oh, sorry. Oh, go on. I was just going to say that there was another um, story out of uh, Arkansas this week that talked about how there's been a mumps outbreak and apparently every single person who actually came down with it was vaccinated. Did it talk so about given how all many the people? Talking about, it said um, following 98 cases, 67 of those have been confirmed through tests. You know, that is crazy because when the vaxxed documentary, the story came out, which, which has to do with a whistleblower from the CDC, William Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, not a single mainstream source covered uh, the story of the whistleblower. Nobody, because basically mm-hmm. everybody's financed by the pharmaceutical company. But what they did covered was a missless outbreak. And it's funny because it was like, it, it was the Disney uh, missless outbreak. And it was like Disneyland. six, yeah, Disneyland, 644 cases were reported in several states for that year. But in that same year, children, you know, with autism, it was 2014, um, there were reported, uh, how much? Oh, God, 1,082,353 children. 
developed autism wow. that year. <laughs> well, I think the Disneyland uh, measles outbreak was the kind of psyop, you know, mm-hmm. for the passing of SB 277, the mandatory vaccine law in California, which basically mm-hmm. now if you live in the state of California, you can only have a medical exemption, which is really hard to get. So I think that was kind of the psychological operation. I mean, and it wasn't even that many kids that got it. It was some really small number. Yeah, and they focused on a woman who died allegedly from the measles. But if you look further into the story, this woman had some kind of immune problem, and she was on these medications Mm. that uh, lowered her immune system. So she caught the measles. But she was already sick, and she ended up dying. So they focused on her just to ramp up the fear factor, like, oh, measles kills. But really, it's just a really benign issue that you get in childhood. You get some spots on you, stay in bed, and yeah, it's, after it's a week or so, it's over. Childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, yeah. there are thousands of cases of children developing autism after the MMR vaccine, and the kids that are, that are at risk are those who are completely healthy when they were born. And they had this normal, perfect development. And afterwards, at 15th, uh, of the 15th month, they get the vaccine and they get sick. You know, and they have seen, you know, it's people that have no cerebral palsy, no mental retardation. It's perfectly healthy children mm-hmm. who are getting the vaccine or getting sick with autism. And they are uh, prognosticating that in the year 2032, if we continue with the current trend, there's going to be 80% of boys diagnosed with autism. One in, one, two. in two. Yeah. one in two children with 80% of boys af- afflicted if we continue with the same trend. And we will if this continues. That is just madness. Oh, boy. Well, speaking of the movie Vax, yeah. um, there is a bill in California, AB 1671. Um, they were waiting for it to pass at the time this article came out, but I checked and saw that it passed on August the 31st. So basically, in this bill, they're saying that you cannot record any confidential uh, speech or telephone call or anything from a healthcare provider without their knowledge. And if you do record it and you broadcast it, you'll be convicted of crime you'll have to pay twenty five hundred dollars or be jailed from 16 months to three years so basically in the movie vax what one of the researchers did was they recorded telephone calls with william thompson the whistleblower that linked mmr to autism and you know told all the dirty deeds that the cdc was doing to cover it up so at this point i don't think any prosecutions have come down but Actually showing the movie Vax to somebody could be a crime. In the state of California. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it covers, like, bloggers or, like, anybody who, who puts a clip up on their, their blog or mm-hmm. somebody who posts a comment in an article with a link to it. Like, it covers anybody. They, don't, they won't have enough space in jail for everybody. <laughs> They'll make space. <laughs> the whole state is a deal. 
It's like a Hotel California. <laughs> well, it's almost like they passed that bill in response to this movie because yeah. it was getting so much press and and people who were maybe on the fence and were vaccine hesitant. Mm-hmm. You watch that movie and you're like, oh, it's a done deal. Uh-uh, there's no way I'm a denier officially now. Yeah, and they basically shot themselves in the foot by giving it so much press and saying, oh, you shouldn't watch this. And, oh, it's banned and you can't play it here and, you know, take it out of that film festival. So they gave the film all the momentum that it needed to spread as much as it did. Yeah, they don't know anything yeah. about psychology. Don't tell anybody to not press the red button. <laughs> Which is really bad. Be. So if you consider, yeah, they- like you said, Gabby, by 2032, like one out of two boys is going to have autism. And there's another article on site about the hefty costs of caring for children and adults with mm-hmm. autism. They said over a lifetime mm-hmm. of a person with autism, it can cost like $2.4 million just to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Jeez. Yeah, I don't see how the healthcare system is going to be possibly deal with such an influx of autism cases. Mm-hmm. It will implode. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the word explode, but yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was another study, uh, another article up on SOD, actually, that was called Surprise. New study warns of the dangers of multiple vaccinations. And um, one, what it was basically outline, uh, outlining is that they, they went, uh, there was a study that went through the um, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, or VAERS, um, and kind of pulled all these different cases and, and looked for uh, trends. And what they found was that the more vaccinations um, a child got, the more likely they were to have adverse effects and the more uh, bad those adverse effects would be. So um, they, they looked at uh, basically how many vaccinations each child had had and um, how many of those then had to end up going to the hospital. And it's a very, very clear trend that as the number of vaccinations go up, the number of adverse events go up. So it's, it's uh, you know, the fact that they just sit around and deny this, that there's any of this kind of thing going on is just kind of mind-blowing when somebody can just kind of take the government's own database of adverse effects of vaccines and kind of just plot it out on a graph and be like, look, if you get two vaccines, you're 11% likely to go to uh, the hospital for it. If you get five vaccines, you're 14.5%. If you get eight vaccines, you're 23.5% more uh, more likely to go to, to have to go to the hospital for adverse effects. So it's just it's like reading this thing. It's just it just blows your mind. I think William Thompson, the CDC whistleblower, is really afraid for his life because you know he has data that shows mm. that there is a relative risk of 700% increased risk of autism in African-American children after the MMR vaccine. And the earlier you get it, the worse. You know. mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and this guy, you know, it's sitting there and he's like waiting to be uh, that Congress needs to, sub- uh, how do you subpoena Dr. William Thompson? Mm-hmm. I don't think Otherwise, he cannot. 
Me neither, you know, and, and if it doesn't happen, you know, what's, what's going to happen with this guy? I think he's going to wake up one of these days, like, you know, suicided or something. Mm-hmm. Well, then he won't he wake up, really technically. Very- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll accidentally <laughs> shoot himself in the he head really- with a nail gun. <laughs> he really has in very valuable information that puts all the, you know, respect of the CDC on the, well, on the floor. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know. Mm. It just portrays it as the most criminal organization and the least capable of taking care of our health worldwide. And uh, yes, so it's like a battle here going on right now. I guess there are some preventative yeah. measures you can take if for some reason you decide or you decide for your children that the MMR vaccine is something that you want to get. Um, you can take huge massive doses of vitamin c <laughs> before during yes. and after <laughs> that's a good one it was published this week on the orthomolecular medicine news service a case report you know it's the daughter of one of the researchers in that journal you know on orthomolecular medicine and she reports that her daughter had an adverse effect but not to the mmr vaccine this was the um, DPT, diphtheria pertussis tetanus vaccination, Mm -hmm. but it was really bad. She had epilepsy, you know, she was screaming, you know, she had high fever. And uh, the parents that they um, they know about vitamin C, they gave her mega doses of vitamin C before, during, and after the vaccination. She weighed, um, her weight was like uh, 35 pounds or something like that, like 17 kilograms. And she received one week before the vaccination up to 11 um, 11, uh, grams Grams. of vitamin C every day. On the day of the shot, um, 24 grams. And afterwards, yes, like 20. And uh, it went down like for the next week or so down to 15 grams, 14. That's a lot for a 35-pound girl. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, that's what they did, and she's perfectly, you know, healthy right now. And for the MMR vaccine, they repeated the, the protocol, and she was safe, yeah. which is very reassuring, you know. So for an adult human body, how much vitamin C do you think that translates to? Well, they oh, said in that article to give it to bowel tolerance, so not so much that you're actually having to go to the bathroom, but just enough that you feel a little bubbling and gurgling and some gas. Mm -hmm. So whatever that amount would be, that's what you should take. That's what you Yeah. My guess it will be like, you know, depending on people's diet and health status, you know, uh, an average person, you know, eating at McDonald's will probably tolerate um, (laughs) 20 grams easily before the vaccine. With a vaccine, depending on their reaction, it could go like 40 or 50. But one has to take into account that the youngest, the person, babies are more at risk. Mm-hmm. For the MMR vaccine and the autism mm-hmm. link, it's the same. The younger the person, the more risk. The elder the person, the less risk. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this made me question, like, the parents who had the daughter when they gave her the vitamin C. They said that she had an adverse reaction. She was having a fever. She wasn't feeling well. And uh, they gave her the vitamin C. But if 
I'm just wondering, did they know about the dangers of the MMR or the DTaP vaccine that they gave her? Like, why even go through all of that in the first place? Why not just skip the vaccine altogether? Yeah, she gives the reason. Mm. She doesn't want to go into the debate of vaccines. She basically reports that the New York State changed the law requiring an additional MMR shot in order for children to attend kindergarten. So she was basically hinting mm. that this is, if you have no choice, there mm-hmm. it goes. <laughs> Vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> wow, imagine that, you know. It's gotten to the point where you can't even send your child to school without them being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact tragic. that you need two MMR vaccines. Why would you need two? The first one's so good, it's so effective. Why do you need another one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> good question. Well, Gabby, maybe you want to address that um, part in the vax where, the, where Dr. Wakefield talked about how, I can't remember what year it was, where... They started to see these issues with the MMR vaccine, and so they decided to split them up into three different shots. Oh, it was causing meningitis, right? Yeah. Yes, this was in 1987. So they know this vaccine is bad since back then. And they tried it first mm-hmm. in Canada. I think it was Ontario, Canada, and a lot of people got meningitis after, after the MMR vaccine. So basically, it was, uh, you know, it was forbidden, but instead of destroying the vaccine, they just took it to the UK and they changed the name of the vaccine from Trivarex to oh my God. something like that. And they had a serious effect. People started getting meningitis. But guess what? They didn't destroy the vaccine. They took it to Brazil and they did mass vaccination campaign. <sighs> And guess what happened? Oh, my God. Meningitis? People got meningitis. <laughs> oh, my God. This was in the 80s. That's depressing. It is. So well, that's where Wakefield got his hypothesis. Well, the younger the kids, the higher risk of meningitis. So uh, I was wondering, maybe the same thing is with autism. And yes. Mm-hmm. It just shows these guys are just completely above the law. In every aspect of the word, you know, like they can just do what they want when they want and just, you know, like do crazy experiments on large numbers of people and then go to another country and do the same thing. I mean, it's like some sick movie. And it's so bad that even the big tree, which is the producer of Baxt, he knew about the whistleblower, and, it is, and he knew that the story of the CDC whistleblower was going to be live in two weeks. And he couldn't cover it because his health show was financed by Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. So he waited there yeah. for two weeks and w- covered, you know, checked out all the mainstream media to see the news. And guess what? Nobody covered the story. Everybody was financed with Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. So he had to, like, you know get out of it and make a documentary because otherwise, you know, nobody will know about this story. But it was everywhere on social media, like Twitter, CDC whistleblower, hashtag CDC whistleblower. Everybody mm-hmm. in social media knew mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. We're living in bizarre world. There's no <laughs> yeah, other I'm way kidding. to describe it. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it totally is. That, I don't know if this is maybe too paranoid of a thought, but I almost wonder if at some point you will not be able to like, um, you know, cross borders uh, or get onto an airplane mm. if you haven't had a vaccination. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was going to tell mm-hmm. my story about two weeks ago. Um, a woman from the Dominican Republic came to the clinic, and she was asking for two shots of the MMR vaccine. I said, why? I mean, <laughs> and I was like, this is a dangerous vaccine. <laughs> well, in a very like, polite and you know, <laughs> formal way, she said, I need it. Because it, it is a requirement to get... Uh, visa for United States. Uh, I'm doing my paperwork and I basically need two vaccines. Mm. So, but, but you know that, you know, that even if you're, you know, you will never have antibodies positive for sure. You know, you can get an MMR vaccine and, you're on, and you can still not develop antibodies. And she said, it doesn't matter. They're going to check like with a blood test or something. Just, I thought it was crazy. Mm. Yeah, well, even is, if What's you, crazy is that they're telling her to do two of them. Like, that's just insane. It's like, you know, one's not good enough. You have to double up. Like, that just, that just blows my mind. Like, two, I can I can see, like, I can maybe understand if you were going to give that maybe this vaccine, that maybe doing two over the course of, like, a longer period of time, you know, the booster that they call for. But somebody showing up at your office and saying, give me two vaccines, like, at once, yeah. that just doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. And I explained to her, it is, it is not part of our protocol. We are not mandated to give you two vaccines <laughs> <laughs> to MMR vaccines. <laughs> she basically was begging, like, please, I need this paperwork. Oh, my God. <laughs> crazy. And oh. even if you do produce antibodies uh, as a result of getting the, the vaccine, that doesn't mean that you're protected. Because as we've seen with all the mumps outbreaks with the MMR vaccine, most of those people have been vaccinated. And when they mm-hmm. get the, the MMR vaccine, they get a form of monks that is more serious and can lead to brain damage or testicular damage or blindness than you would get if you just caught the mumps uh, naturally. Yeah, it's the same with uh, with uh, shingles. Uh, mm-hmm. People who had been vaccinated for chickenpox uh, as children um, and may never have gotten chickenpox but were vaccinated for it got worse cases of shingles. Uh, in in adulthood than people who had not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't mess with your immune system, folks. Yeah. And if that's not scary enough, um, just in the first week of September, be very afraid. Um, Dr. Brownstein uh, did some shocking research confirming that vaccines are now contaminated with can you guess? Monsanto's Roundup glyphosate. <laughs> it's in everything. It's everywhere. Your so brain. This uh, uh, researcher, Anthony Samsel, and he's done a lot of research on glyphosate along with uh, um, another researcher, Stephanie Senoff. So they published uh, five peer-reviewed articles on the herbicide glyphosate and a yet-to-be-published six-paper found various commonly used vaccines are contaminated with the herbicide. And um, so basically many vaccines contain animal byproducts such as gelatin, bovine casein, bovine serum, bovine calf serum, chicken egg protein. And so all these animals are fed grains that are sprayed with glyphosate. And um, he basically ran numerous studies, groups of vaccines, and identified several factors of contamination, 
And so he included excipient gelatins, egg protein, and uh, similar substrates used to grow vaccines. And I found, this is him speaking, uh, gelatins and egg proteins contaminated with glyphosate-based herbicides from animals fed, a glyphosate-contaminated diet carries into the thousands of consumer products. So even vitamins, protein powders, Mm. wine, beer, and... um, Jesus. What's interesting is the following vaccines were found to be contaminated. So, number one, MMR. Number two, chickenpox. Three, what is it? Zostatavix, the shingles. Proquad, which is the MMR, uh, rubella, varicella, uh, the flu vaccine, and hepatitis B. Nice. Basically all of them. And he even yeah. wrote a letter to Congress. Of course, they did nothing. They said nothing. He wants congressional investigation. Not going to happen. Uh, what would they say? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oops. Maybe you could say any vitamin C at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a serious, serious problem with that. Is I mean, it's not just being. Um, an egg, say you can you know, egg on toast or something like that eat it by the digestive system, like your body has certain ways to protect yourself from um, from that stuff, whereas when you're getting it injected directly into your veins, your body has absolutely no offences against that whatsoever, that glyphosate mm. is in, within vaccine could potentially be doing so much more damage when it is injected rather than uh, residue on someone's food or something like that, you know, because it, it, it just completely bypasses all of the, the body's natural defensive and it is so unnatural. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see the effects of this and whether these, uh, these vaccines that are now contaminated with glyphosate, whether they um, actually have any... Uh, any stronger facts. Well, I've mentioned it in previous shows that glyphosate is actually regulated as an antibiotic. So, you know, already it's got immune disrupting properties to it. And the WHO, coming back to the WHO, probable carcinogen, like they've never (laughs) confirmed. Probable is good enough for me. (laughs) But it's not like vaccines weren't bad enough on their own. Like, just finding out that they're contaminated with glyphosate is just like the icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah. Why, am not, yeah, why are we not surprised? <laughs> yeah, well, it probably, probably is everywhere soon. I mean, just like, uh, you know, I, I know that glyphosate's not airborne, but the, the metaphor that came to mind was how there's, you know, airborne yeast everywhere in, in every place that you go to. It's in, it's in the air everywhere. And it almost makes me think like glyphosate is going to become something like that, uh, where it's just in everything. It already it's is. In every product. Yeah, know? they've mm-hmm. tested women's yeah. breast milk. They tested people's urine samples. They have glyphosate in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even um, umbilical cord samples. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Monsanto is going to start uh, charging the um, the vaccine companies uh, you know, <laughs> a charge for including glyphosate in their uh, in their product. Yeah. Copyright. <laughs> exactly. Well, it may soon be yeah. Bayer because yeah. they just, uh, they're, I don't know if it 
it went through or not, but they're going to buy Monsanto for, you know, mm. Uber billions or something crazy like that. Maybe they'll have yeah, another face. Yes. Maybe they'll have another facelift wow. and change. And Oh, God. Well, speaking of outbreaks, there's this weird case in California about two possible cases of leprosy at Indian Hills Elementary School. Yeah, uh, I thought that was crazy because at least I don't know anything for sure anymore, but at least what I learned (laughs) from the medical textbooks is that leprosy, it's so hard to get. It really has to be Mm -hmm. like continual exposure. It's not like a your normal droplet, it really has to be continual, intimal, you know, intimate exposure. Hmm. Yeah, and there was nothing that I could find about how these kids actually could have caught leprosy, but the school board sent to uh, the children's parents a letter telling them all about leprosy and the treatment and, you know, the course of the disease, which is really kind of strange. Like, how do these kids get leprosy? But everybody's freaking out. They don't want their kids yeah, to go to weird. school. Um, but the in the letter, it didn't say anything about the kids not being allowed to come back to school because they acknowledge in the letter that it's really hard to catch from other people. And naturally, 95% of humans anyway are immune to leprosy. It's just a yeah. bizarre little story. Very bizarre. Wonder how long it reminds me of all those Victorian age diseases that were kind of uh, cropping up yeah. in uh, in England that we covered a couple weeks ago. Like all so, these really uh, kind of old, yeah, old timey diseases are just kind of starting to resurface. It's really weird. Scurvy. Scurvy. Yeah, but with the leprosy thing, it makes me wonder how long it's going to be before they uh, issue a leprosy vaccine. And then you see it in, in, in mm, of yeah. yeah. No, Jonathan, first it's Zika vaccine. <laughs> right. Yeah. They actually do have the Zika vaccine in production. And from what I read, it's in human trials already. Not that, uh, you know, anything mm. that they report is actually going to be the truth or the Zika vaccine is actually <laughs> going to be effective, but that's where it is. If you're on board. <laughs> This makes me think of something like, I guess, on the macro level. Is there a tipping point at which the pharmaceutical companies can no longer come up with any new drugs? You know, I mean, it's like the idea that you can't write a new song, you know, that everything's been written already. Mm. Well, Mm. (laughs) they are coming up with these cocktails of drugs. Like if there is an elderly person taking a blood pressure pill, a pill for cholesterol, and a pill for diabetes... Mm-hmm. They're making the three-in-one pill, yeah. but it doesn't cost cheaper. Oh. No, <laughs> it's no, no. easier for, the, for grandpa to take just one pill instead of four. <laughs> but that's where it's coming from now. <laughs> they do actually oh have the two-in-one blood pressure pills. So all the major ones like uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes. Yeah, I can see that happening. They do something called uh, evergreening. The drug companies where they mm. uh, they'll have a drug and then they tweak it just a little bit so they can keep their patent so they you know other companies can't come in with a generic and cut into their profit margin so yeah mm. i don't know, I don't know how much how much more drugs they can develop because they, they're all crap but um 
I don't know. Vaccines seems to be at the forefront now. Something big is happening. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just like the music industry. Like basically, they can just find ways of forever just recombining what already exists. So you just have this constant background drone of of the same old thing over and over and over again. It'll be the same with drugs. Just the same stuff over and over again. Oh, my doctor prescribed me new pills. How are they different than the last pills? Well, they're not really, but it's got a different name on them. And they cost more. Yeah, so does anybody have anything to share on this new CDC ruling about detention and quarantine for travelers? No, well, it's like what Jonathan said. They're going to crack down on travel. It's basically for, well, it's that. I think I remember it saying in the document, people coming into the country and people doing interstate travel within the country. So they can, I don't know, it's like they're assigning uh, properties to whatever agents. Like they're not healthcare professionals. So how do they know what they're looking at? Like Mm -hmm. if somebody has a rash or something, how do they know they don't just have psoriasis or, you know, they got bit by some fleas or something. They're going to say, oh, we need to detain you. You have some red bumps on your arm. Like, what gives these people the right to diagnose you on the spot like that and then detain you for treatment? But it's all voluntary, though. <laughs> well, we carried an article. Voluntary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we carried an article on SOD about the uh, CDC's measles hysteria. So proposed rules call for detention or quarantine of travelers and in it's a dr mercola article but what i found interesting was after you're taken into custody so you're taken into government custody they can hold you for 72 hours without a right to contact a lawyer or anyone else to appeal your detention and then you're asked to sign a contract with the cdc that you consent to public health measures in quotes whatever that means being applied to you or your minor child, and which may include quarantine, isolation, conditional release, medical examination, hospitalization, vaccination, and treatment. But if even if you don't voluntarily agree to sign that contract, uh, public health health officials can still do whatever they want to you because the and it says here the individual's consent shall not be considered a prerequisite to any exercise of any authority by the CDC. Yet so, it's voluntary. They yeah. even ask for it. <laughs> so if government officials do release you from detention, get this, you can be electronically tracked and monitored, including by electronic tracking devices you have to wear, or by email, cell phone texts, video conferencing, and voicemail. Mm. Jeez. That's crazy. What comes up with this stuff? The medical police state. Yeah. Lawyers, man. Lawyers come up with that. And if you, the CDC finds you're guilty of disobeying the, their orders and they believe you transmitted an, an infection to someone else, you can be fined $100,000 if the violation does not result in death or one year in jail or wow. both. How or can, how or a fine they, of more than 250000 if the violation results in a death. How can they prove that? Oh. You did it, though. How can they prove that? It's so ridiculous. It's just—is this just to create jobs for lawyers or something? <laughs> well, here it says it's right now the the measles isn't is not officially on the detain and quarantine list, 
but measles could easily be put on that isolate and quarantine list if the CDC officials convince the president to issue an executive order if or when the NPRM becomes law after October 14th, 2016. So, yeah. Don't get the measles. So basically, basically you've got the, the equivalent of like a TSA agent doing a medical uh, analysis on people. And with the way we see the Zika thing becoming hysterical, people will basically be detained because they've got a mosquito bite and put under all these kinds of watch lists and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just, it's like, it, it's, it's a police state, like through the medical, like it's the medical mafia police state, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can see how any dissenters, um, anyone who protests against this, or anyone who is in any way a sort of threat to this system um, could quite quite easily be be almost set up um, and detained, even even if they didn't contract the virus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, mm-hmm. it could it could be you know, it, it, as you said, it sets a precedent for you know a, a much higher level of um, control and this this step towards this police state. Yeah, I mean, it's the very definition of fascism. It's uh, it, it's punishment by exclusion. Um, it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not required to uh, to give your child a, a birth certificate when they're born. You're not actually required by law to do that. But if you don't, uh, they won't be. A, they'll be like a non-person. Mm-hmm. You know, they won't. Mm-hmm. You won't get a social security number. You won't be able to get a job anywhere. Um, you can't get a driver's license. Any of that. Uh, just like how you're you're not required by law to pay income tax, uh, but if you don't, you'll go to jail. <laughs> so, yeah. it, you know, it's the, uh, it's the same thing with this. You know, it's the um, you have to be in the system, and anything that they that they rope into the uh, requirements for the system, um, you just have to continue to do that. So, like you said, you know, if you they say that this check uh, when you're traveling is is voluntary. Um, but that's a that's a fancy term for saying if you don't do it, then there are all of these other consequences. Mm-hmm. But the bright side, sarcasm, <laughs> is that the CDC <laughs> wants your input before the bill is passed. There is absolutely no way in the world I would give the CDC my input. One, because they're going to do whatever they're going to do anyway. Like when has protesting ever led to any big industry changing their ways and two you just set yourself up as a vaccine denier so they (laughs) it's the blacklist (laughs) yeah yeah you're just letting them know who you are yeah being amish is really starting to sound a whole lot better (laughs) but you those those uh religious rights are going out the window i mean in that Mm -hmm. you know the ama thing in the journal pediatrics it's like they're you know questioning how a child even can express religious rights like they don't know they're ignorant you know and it just well one of the good things about the amish is that they're kind of out of the system you know and they have really really low uh low rates of autism too surprisingly or not they don't vaccinate their children and they don't send them to you know 
public school. So yeah, I'm gonna become um, well, again, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's again a question of you know being being inside or outside of the system. If you're if you're outside, then you can't do all the things that are in the system, like travel, you know, on a plane, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, what scares me too is like uh, if this really starts to become a thing. Um, say for instance, there's forced medical treatment when you're, when you're traveling, um, like the body scanners, you know, I've, I've opted out on a number of times, but I've also just gone through cause I was like, screw it. I, I need to get on this plane, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go through the mm-hmm. scanner. So it's like, um, you know, at what point is it going to be like, screw it. I'm just going to get this shot. I need to get to my destination. Yeah. Or I need to keep my job or yeah. I need to send my kids to school. What am I going to do? So they're really yeah, putting people in a bind. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's why the WHO is really trying to crack down on all the information and even issuing that safety warning for people that are trying to push it, push the vaccines. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they started writing up documents in like 2015 about how to deal with vaccine deniers and how to kind of shift the conversation in another way. And so I think it's been in the works for a while, and it's just slowly slowly especially with the vaxxed documentary you know one thing that i found really interesting in the movie was how uh daniel bigtree talks about the fact that the cdc's never done a study where they compared vaccinated children and unvaccinated children and that would give you tons of data right there Mm -hmm. but they won't do Mm -hmm. it well yeah they're not going to do real studies (laughs) (laughs) nope (laughs) <laughs> well, one of our chatters asks uh, or speculates maybe that's what internment camps will be for, for vaccine refusers, vaccine deniers. It's mm. a scary thought. And you can't take mega doses of vitamin C if you're in an internment camp. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that'll be provided? No. Nah. No, it'll be some like black market thing. Hey, can you give me some of that vitamin C? <laughs> <laughs> the white powder. <laughs> the good <laughs> The good stuff. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, like from a, you know, from a big picture kind of perspective, like say, you know, internment camps start to be used. I mean, I get they have been used intermittently for, for quote unquote small things. Like during the Occupy protests, there were some internment camps when they were arresting hundreds of people at a time. But it, what occurs <laughs> to me is there would be two things you know basically like terrorism or like a a public health crisis and it would be a lot easier to accuse people of of having a condition or having been exposed to a virus than it would be to having some sort of like terrorist connection Mm -hmm. you know so they uh, you know the the easiest way to basically control a large number of people uh is to either institute or take advantage of a, a giant public health crisis yeah, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm a, a pretty like uh, just pretty paranoid person, and I tend to be a pessimist more often than not. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it were engineered. Um, but you know that doesn't preclude it either. That it could be it could actually come about accidentally. You know, like we've talked about before, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the psychopathic mindset. It is in some cases, in many cases, is basically just 
Oh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah, kind of went out for a minute. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, basically, like just saying that uh, when psychopaths run rampant, you know, a- anything is is on the table is is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be engineered. Uh, mm-hmm. This could come about as like a result of blundering. Um, Mm. Uh, and then the ones who are in the position to take advantage of it will do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they might not intend for tens of thousands of people to get measles, mumps, and rubella, um, but that may happen because mm. of the carelessness of just like yeah. shooting this vaccine all over the place. Yeah, and they don't uh, really take into account the long-term consequences of their actions. They are just uh, strictly focused, like they have blinders on for whatever their goal is. They're going to go for it, and it doesn't matter, you know, what the fallout is, really. Yeah, and it seems like if there isn't an actual crisis, that they they're perfectly willing to manufacture one. If you just look at what's going on with this whole Zika scare, um, you know, basically they're they're pumping up this Zika virus as if it's something absolutely horrible and everybody needs to be so scared of mosquito bites when, you know, realistically anybody who's been keeping up with these things on SOT, there is zero evidence that the Zika virus actually leads to uh, microcephaly mm-hmm. uh, if pregnant women are uh, contracted. So, but nonetheless, the, the hype is so strong on this. It's unbelievable. Like they're you know, pulling out all the stops. They've got people out on the streets getting rid of standing water. They're telling people, and it, the, actually one thing that they're telling people that is, is just making me so angry is that they're telling everybody to, you know, wear long clothing or something like that to cover yourself up to protect against mosquito bites and on exposed skin to use DEET. <laughs> but then at the same time, they are, I mean, DEET is, is toxic. DEET is like a, What's it called? A, a neurochemical, basically. It affects your uh, your nervous uh, system. Yeah, but it's, highly it's a toxic, neurotoxin. Yeah. Thanks. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, and they're spraying. What's the name of the stuff they're spraying? Like Nala or something? Nalid. N N A L E D. I thought it was nailed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that stuff is an organophosphate. And apparently that makes the symptoms, if you mix DEET with an organophosphate, it makes the symptoms or the, um, the, the effects that much worse. Mm-hmm. So they're basically going around spraying, aerial spraying these places with nalid or nailed. <laughs> and anybody who's putting DEET on themselves are getting a more um, extreme reaction to the DEET huh. um, because, because of the two mixing. So that, it just, it was bl- it, it's so irresponsible. What is I thought it was banned, uh, the organophosphates, at least in the United States. No, they're not banned. They're just kind of regulated, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and of course there's been no studies showing that knowledge is actually safe to be sprayed around human beings. I mean, in this article mm. about the CDC using the Zika virus to be able to detain people, they talk about how toxic. Uh, uh, knowledge is to people and there are some pretty scary side effects if I can find them just a lot of neurological symptoms um, you know you got the ones that are not that bad like a bloody or a runny nose coughing chest dis- chest discomfort difficulty breathing wheezing if you get in your eyes it'll cause uh, bleeding in your eyes pupil constriction blurred vision um, 
it might come on like within a few minutes or might take up to 12 hours for you to get these symptoms. And you might get uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, cramps, headache, dizziness. Um, and even more severe, like if you get a big dose of it, um, you'd be uh, lacking in coordination, slurred speech, loss of reflexes, weakness, fatigue, muscle contractions, twitching, tremors, uh, and eventual paralysis of the body extremities. And that includes your uh, respiratory muscles in there, too. And you can involuntarily defecate and urinate, have psychosis, <laughs> unconsciousness, convulsions, coma, and death by cardiac arrest. Wow. So, What's wrong with a mosquito bite? I'll take a mosquito bite. I mean, the Zika virus cause like minor, minor flu-like symptoms, basically? Yeah, here, here's the <laughs> symptoms of Zika. So compare that to what I just said about the symptoms of Nala poisoning. Here's Zika. I want a mosquito. <laughs> Zika is fever, rash, joint pain, conjunctivitis, muscle pain, and headache. And that's only if you experience those symptoms. Some people don't even have any symptoms whatsoever. <laughs> well, I wonder if we're going to see a resurgence in the future of polio. Mm-hmm. As we I think it was over a year ago, we had an interview with uh, the author of Virus Mania, Dr. Kernline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he talked a, a lot about the polio epidemic and how his research showed that it was uh, poisoning from DDT, mm-hmm. which is you know, since been outlawed, but, uh, you know, it sounds like all those symptoms that you shared are very similar Mm -hmm. to the DDT poisoning. And so maybe polio will be the new resurgent because there, there are vaccines for polio. There's a live oral where you don't get the shot. And then Mm -hmm. there's the dead where it is the shot, but wouldn't be surprised. They wouldn't call it polio though. They call it acute flaccid paralysis. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's already some conditions uh, that are resurging that are very similar to polio. Like, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Is it Hashimoto's? Guillain-Barre. It's an adverse effect from the vaccine. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Unbelievable. Although I wouldn't be surprised if they called it, if they just went ahead and called it polio, if it served their interest. I mean, imagine yeah. that would be a, that would be an incredible crisis for the pharmaceutical companies to take advantage of. Like the polio is back, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's yeah. got to go get the thing. And, and whatever on people who didn't get the polio vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever they come up with, you know, the media will run with it and people will believe it. Just like they believe that Hillary Clinton has pneumonia. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, one thing about the polio for parents, you know, kind of give them the illusion of choice is like I was saying earlier, if you say, well, I don't want the polio shot, then they say, oh, well, we have this live version that's not a shot and we'll just give your kid some drops of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just eat the polio. <laughs> it tastes good. It's what's for dinner. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> a lot <laughs> so are there any other stories we want to cover from the news there, in was, the last yeah. few weeks? there was the news about uh, chemotherapy which is not 
really news. I mean, if you follow it, but I'm trying to find this link here. The news is that it got into mainstream medicine because it was published on, uh, what was the name of the magazine? Well, it was a mainstream medical magazine. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it says a startling study by Public Health England and Cancer Research UK has found that cancer treatment itself may be killing up to 50% of patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not the cancer that's, that's killing them, it's the treatment. Yeah. But I mean, that's... They were looking some... at... Um... Sorry. Oh, just... They were looking at specifically patients who died within 30 days of, be- of beginning their uh, their cancer treatment indicating that the death was caused by the treatment itself, not the cancer. Yeah. But, I mean, that's something that, you know, if you have been, if you've known anybody who was affected by cancer, uh, which I think most people have, sadly, uh, or if you uh, have been following any of the research about cancer, um, you know, in a vast, vast majority of cases where people get chemotherapy, tumors reemerge after the chemo. With a vengeance. yeah, and it's it's a pretty yeah. clear correlation. Uh, I feel like if you have just the very simplest understanding of the scientific method, and you can say, "Well, I got dosed with a shitload of radiation. Uh, oh no, a tumor came back." You know, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty straightforward uh, causal relationship. But uh, well, to a thinking person, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chemo denier. <laughs> <laughs> this is another. This is another thing that's very similar to the, the the setup with vaccines, where you can be denied a whole bunch of services by refusing it. Because um, I've I've read stories too about people who go in, are diagnosed with uh, any pretty much any type of, of cancer, say that they don't want chemo, uh, and instantly lose a lot of uh, insurance coverage, or can be rejected by their doctor. Um, and basically end up uh, on their own. And, and that's a scary, lonely mm-hmm. place to be, especially if you don't know any natural ways to uh, to treat it on your own, um, which that alone, you know, that the disinfo campaign has been really effective in that area. If you ask anybody in the street, you know, can you treat cancer yourself? They'd be like, no, you know, of course not. Um, but you can, uh, and it's been proven. Um so it's just uh, like the, it, it really gets my goat every time I see all of like the, the race for the cure and the, the search search for the cure kind mm. of campaigns and rallies and the pink ribbons and oh yeah you know, like, like the other day I saw, I saw a raise money for the cure gumball machine <laughs> and it was like you know those gumballs are causing cancer right like <laughs> Yeah, woman, I mean, run to, sadly ironic. to get your mammogram. Never mind that it does. <laughs> it's much worse to get the mammogram to leave your breasts alone. Yeah, don't squeeze yeah. your breasts and you know shoot X-rays into them. I don't see how that could be helpful for anyone. Yeah, we need well, to remember that um, the chemotherapy is like an extremely lucrative endeavor. Uh, especially for doctors, actually, you know, in the U.S., I mean, the amount of money that a doctor would um, would get from, from prescribing someone chemotherapy is like, I can't remember the exact statistics, but 
I just remember reading that it is a lot more than if they were to prescribe any any normal sort of medication. Um, and so I think doctors, aside from the way that they're taught in medical school, um, I think I think a lot of them, you know, they really benefit from <laughs> they benefit financially from you know forcing this chemotherapy on cancer patients, even if they don't actually want it. And so it's it's not so surprising that um that you know it's it's so prevalent. Yeah, and as far as I know, I don't have the information in front of me. Um, chemotherapy prescription prescription is the only you know kind of drug class where doctors can get monetarily rewarded they don't get rewarded yeah. for making any other kind of prescriptions i mean they might get like gifts and things from drug companies or the drug reps that come to their office but they don't actually get cash money for prescribing regular medications but for chemotherapy they do and i also found it odd jonathan when you said mm. that like if people refuse chemotherapy their insurance will kick them off which is strange because chemotherapy costs money for the insurance companies to, you know, pay for. So why would they, you know, kick somebody off? That saves them money if they refuse chemotherapy. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, that's the purpose is to that's kill really somebody. It's yeah. Elliot, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I lost my train of thought, um, so I just stopped speaking. Um, I was just going to say, that almost like, that, that smells a bit fishy, you know. Is there maybe some ties between these uh, these pharmaceutical companies and the big insurance companies as well? I mean, it seems counterintuitive that, um, that an insurance company would force their clients to, <laughs> to take a... a um, chemotherapy when it costs the insurance company money to do that it's almost like you know maybe there's something going on there yeah well what about all the drugs that are prescribed during the chemotherapy treatment for nausea and Mm -hmm. side effects from chemotherapy might be something to it Mm -hmm. yeah i think well i think it's just uh like you can't you can't take your health into your own hands and uh, and keep a certain level of insurance coverage. That's basically what it comes down to. I think, you know, I mean, it's similar. This, this is a case where I actually kind of agree with this, but, uh, as a, as an example, a corollary, uh, in Michigan, um, they, uh, repealed the required, uh, motorcycle helmet law a number of years ago. So you're no longer required by law to wear a helmet when you ride a motorcycle. However, if you don't, you have to put that down when you register your bike and get insurance, and your premiums are going to be a ton higher. Hmm. So you could say that that's a corollary in the sense that you're taking your health into your own hands by not wearing a helmet, but you have to pay more premiums. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like uh, that may be kind of a bad example, but, uh, I, I, hmm. you know, I think in, in general, um, if you do anything in the realm of medicine, forgetting about the motorcycle thing, uh, and you're trying to treat yourself or take your, uh, your health into your own hands, uh, you can either lose your coverage entirely or your premiums will skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is just this like incredible <clears throat> state of affairs in the U S right now. I, I was watching a, a vice documentary the, the other day about fentanyl addiction in Canada oh. and, uh, one of the guys who was, you know, living on the street, homeless, he was trying to get off of it, but he was having a very hard time. 
and he went to this doctor who was doing treatments for people for fentanyl. Um, and he said, well, how much is this going to cost? And the doctor said, it's, it, it doesn't cost you anything. It's healthcare. Hmm. And it was just like, that's hmm. such a novel concept to me as an American, like, <laughs> holy crap, you know? Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, we're really in a, in a sad state of affairs, you know, that people's health is being made worse by the elements of the system, the food, the medicine, everything that's out there. Um, and at the same time, hand in hand, they're being required to pay more, uh, you know, to keep up their health, uh, or be excluded, uh, completely, uh, like, yeah, they don't want people opting out from the system. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I don't have health insurance. Uh, you know, I, I, I probably should, but it's very expensive. And, uh, so I, my first thought is never to go to the doctor or to the hospital. I'm like, how can I take care of this myself? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I would not go, uh, to the hospital except in maybe extreme cases of a broken bone or, or something worse than that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, hmm. I don't, I don't mind that I'm comfortable with the way things are in my life right now, but at the same time, I feel like that's a, you know, that's kind of a crappy place to, uh, to be, uh, the average citizen should not have to worry about whether or not they can afford, uh, to receive healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had a finger yeah. fixed, uh, years ago playing soccer. I broke my finger. So I went to the emergency room. It cost me $800 for them to reset my finger. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And it took me like six months to pay it off, you know, and it was a finger. I could have oh pulled it back God. into place myself. Yeah. In retrospect, that's what I was going to say. It's not the yeah. responsible thing to say, but did you say? Yeah. But Jonathan, yeah. you live in America. You can get the flu shot for free. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'll fix your finger. You're so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think healthcare uh, is extremely overrated. Like you, Jonathan, I don't have insurance either, and I wouldn't go to the hospital or to a doctor unless... You know, something was falling off of me and I needed it sewn back on. <laughs> yeah, but like in that article where they're talking about the useless screening test, like the PSA test and mm. uh, CAT scans and x-rays and mammograms and all that. I mean, it leads to overdiagnosis and overtreatment. I think people get a little... I mean, they demand their health care, but I don't really think that they know what they're demanding because it's not really helping them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's Men usually yeah. ask for the screening, prostate cancer screening, mm-hmm. which again and again proves nothing. Even mainstream medicine recognizes this. And nevertheless, it is, you know, it's the PSA test. Yeah. And it will lead to more false mm. positives overdiagnosis, adverse effects. You can get chemo radiation for this and it was all for nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So do we have any good news to round out the show since we're coming up on time before we go to the pet health segment? Nope. Um. <laughs> yes, we do. Think. <laughs> well, well, it may, it may uh, may not be health related although tangentially i just heard a story the other day that uh um uh prisons in the united states are no longer going to be run by private corporations oh so that, oh. that could be That's good or bad so depending on how you look at it 
don't know. I don't know. I swear there was a caveat in that, though. Like, it was only this or that kind of prison, and it wasn't going to be implemented to 2070 or no. <laughs> yeah. No, right. Yeah, too late for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, I guess, like, the reason I said that tangentially relates to healthcare is the, uh, the the point in the story that I heard about it was had to do with medical care of, of prison inmates, and they were they were sending uh, prisoners with either advanced diseases or severe uh, physical trauma back to their cell with like a Tylenol. Oh, you know, huh. and, basically, and basically not doing anything. And that this was a way for the private companies that run the prisons to save money on treatment. <laughs> yeah, and that's federal prisons, not state. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, one of, our chatters, one of our chatters shared some good news that Hillary might not survive until the election. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's health-related. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to say that probably she will. She will just be a complete robot, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> stimulated by drugs. It's mental health-related, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So okay. no other good news? Like. <laughs> no, nothing? No. Nothing, not a zitch. No. No. <laughs> okay, well, I guess no. we can um, take this time now to go to the pet health segment. If you ever wondered about anal glands, here's your chance to find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Today on The Cone, we are talking about four things that you need to know about anal glands. Oh, goodness. I didn't know it was that kind of show. And now, the vet who's great at expressing himself, Dr. Andy Rourke. Anal glands turning pets into scooters for thousands of years. Here are the four questions about anal glands that you need answered. Let's go. So what the heck are these things? Anal glands, as they're commonly known, aren't technically glands. They're actually small sacs that are lined with glandular cells that continually produce oil and sweat. This yellow, stanky fluid is stored in these sacs until it travels up a narrow duct and it comes out right around the anus at either the 4 o'clock or 8 o'clock position. There's one on each side. Did you say stanky? It's, it's a medical term. So why are they there? What purpose do anal sacs serve? Well, the truth is, we don't exactly know. But there are a couple of theories. They are a territorial scent marker that's used to show ownership of an area. Or... They are a communication tool that's used to pass information about the health and well-being and stress of one animal onto another. Or they're a form of lubrication to help pass hard poop. And my personal favorite is that they are a leftover anatomical part from the ancestors of dogs and cats 
who used to defend themselves by spraying. Think about it. What a wonderful world it would be if we solved conflicts with butt spray instead of weapons. How do they cause problems? There are two major factors that lead to anal sac problems. Number one, blocking driveways, and number two, double parking so that people can't get out. Do you mean cul-de-sac problems? Yeah. What are we talking about? So, two factors that cause problems. Number one, impaction happens when there is a blockage in the duct that drains the sac out. So it gets blocked, and then infection often follows right behind impaction. Anal sac problems don't seem to be related to age or sex. They are more common in dogs than in cats, and they are much more likely to occur in small breed dogs than large breed dogs. Hashtag small dog problems. Other pets can have damaged or squished ducks due to past trauma or past infection or even allergies. Once anal sacs get impacted and infected, they cause pain and inflammation. And that's why we see our buddies scooting their rear ends and licking all the time. Sometimes impacted and infected anal glands even form abscesses that rupture through the skin and they drain that way. Number four, what can we do to keep them healthy? It kind of depends on what's causing the problem. For example, if your pet is having problems because of allergies, getting allergies under control may be all that we need to do. Generally, increasing the fiber content in the diet or using a supplement specifically designed for this purpose can help create firm stool that will press against the side of the colon as it goes out and it can squeeze out the anal sacs and that helps decrease the chances of impaction. Some pets might benefit from having their anal sacs expressed regularly. Your vet can teach you how to do this, or you may be more comfortable just letting professionals handle it. Personally, my rule of thumb is I try to mess with anal sacs as little as possible. So talk to your vet about whether or not this is a good idea before you make it a habit. If you're looking for something to make a habit of, I don't know, maybe take up jogging. In extreme cases, surgical removal of the anal sacs is possible. However, there are risks of complications with a surgery, so it's not super common. If your buddy is scooting across the carpet or licking back there with regularity, it's time to make an appointment with the vet because there's nothing funny about ruptured anal sacs. And that's our show. Thank you so much for watching. Please help us out and help people who have pets that might have anal sac problems by liking, commenting, and sharing this video so that they can hear the word as well. Take care, and let's be the people that our pets deserve. Brought to you by Glandex. Boot the Scoot. That was cheerful. Yeah. <laughs> Spanky but cheerful. <laughs> I'm, I'm ordering that custom t-shirt today that says there's nothing funny about ruptured anal sacs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one, so yeah. <laughs> so do we have a recipe for today?
besides vitamin C for uh, the MMR vaccine? <laughs> let's see that. I've been very busy lately, and so, of course, that, that's an excuse, but uh, also a reason, if you can have both at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'll forgive you. That's our recipe, folks. Massive doses of vitamin C for vaccines. Yes. So I guess that's our show for today. Thanks to all our chat participants and make sure you tune in Sunday for our other SOT Radio Network show, either Behind the Headlines or the Truth Perspective. We'll see. Okay. Have Bye a nice guys. weekend. All right. Bye-bye, Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.